It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. Hey, I'm back. And more important, my voice is back. Didn't sound that bad, but I was kind of struggling with a bit of morning hoarseness. You know, in television, you got to worry about a lot of things. You got to have a nice suit and your hair has to look good. In podcasting, you're really relying on one thing. It's your voice. Your voice has to be strong and empathetic and soothing and outraged, depending on what you're talking about. Otherwise, you know, people go to sleep. So I feel in full control of my faculties again. Hey, how about that goal by the U.S. World Cup soccer team? If you haven't seen this, the television's replaying it all day. You know, just Google it. Uh, the forward Christian Pulisic leading the Americans to a one nothing defeat over Iran. And the thing about this goal was he's really close to the net. There's sort of a bunch of crowded... There's a sort of a crowded scene there. And he barges in, and he kicks the ball into the goal, and then he smashes into the goalkeeper. And then you see him on the ground, and he's just agonized. He's just really hurt. He came back to play the rest of the half, which is pretty courageous. But um, then they took him out at halftime after concluding he had suffered a pelvic contusion. I don't know exactly what that is in the pelvic area. I mean, I know what it is, but it it obviously hurts. And now he's in the hospital. So talk about, you know, sacrificing your body in the name of sports. I mean, he gave that team a victory. And it was not a lock that the U.S. is going to beat Iran. But, of course, the geopolitics of this is, you know, we're totally in a— hostile posture now toward Iran. Not necessarily a lot of the Iranian people who clearly don't like their government. In fact, I saw footage, I don't know how widespread this was, of some Iranians cheering the American victory because they wanted their uh, team to lose because they don't like the government and what it's doing. And so for that's why the goal was so important, I think. And You know, it's just one of those moments when somebody is so determined to win. It's like an outfielder, you know, smashing up against the outfield wall to catch a fly ball that could be a home run. I mean, this guy just, it's hard to watch the aftermath of it, but he was in good spirits in footage I saw from the hospital, and uh, I saw the team captain say he'll be back for the next match. Uh, against the Netherlands uh, this weekend. The Senate, as expected, passing the same-sex marriage bill with 12 Republicans joining every Senate Democrat to codify that same-sex marriage will be the law of the land. The House is going to pass it. I don't know why they don't pass it today, but apparently it's going to be early next week, and of course President Biden will sign it. Biden put out a statement saying... This is reaffirming a fundamental truth. Love is love. And Americans should have the right to marry the person they love. 
and they can have families of their own and so forth, safeguard the rights. I mean, obviously, this is uh, going to be a big deal when Biden signs it. They're going to play it up. And at the same time, you know, other than these 12 GOP senators, some of whom are retiring, you know, all the other Republicans in the Senate voted against it. It's been an interesting evolution uh, because the Republican Party was once seen as pretty hostile to gays. However, you know, same-sex marriage has been the law of the land, and I know, I've seen some pretty conservative Republicans say they don't have any problem with it. There's, you know, on the other hand, there are some conservative Republicans who feel like their base would be upset if they come out for LGBTQ rights. Uh, I think increasingly they will be in the minority. And it's just such a sea change from the era, which I remember when not only were there no openly gay journalists, but if you had a government job, you didn't say you were gay. And in fact, this law, this new law that's going to be signed by the president, repeals the Defense of Marriage Act, which was Bill Clinton's compromise so that gay people could serve in the military as long as they didn't talk about being gay. I mean, you look back on it and it seems archaic. I mean, essentially they were asked to keep quiet, even though I don't think it probably was much of a secret to the people they served with. That was the best that Clinton could get. And that now seems like an eon ago. And Joy Behar apologizing on The View for saying something that was pretty dumb that she didn't check. Uh, The previous day, and I'm sure she was under pressure to make an apology on air, she went after uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett as belonging to a hate group. A hate group in her religion. That's a really terrible charge, especially because it's false. What Behar had said on the show the previous day is, oh, um... Justice Amy Coney Barrett's religious faith is being called into question again. There are calls for her to recuse herself from a case involving same-sex couples because it's for, against her religious beliefs. Do you see that being said about people of any other faith other than the branch of Catholicism that she follows? Um, and Behar goes on to say the Southern Poverty Law Center has labeled them a hate group. This is referring to People of Praise, which is a small Christian group that she belonged to in her hometown. And this came up unfairly, in my view, uh, during her Senate confirmation hearings when she was rushed onto the Supreme Court uh, just before the end of Donald Trump's term. So uh, Behar comes out and says, I have to clarify something. Uh, I want to correct something I said on air when I stated that people of praise have been deemed a hate group. I just got them mixed up with another group. It was inaccurate. So I don't think that's right. I have to say, you know, sorry about that. Anyway, I conflated them. I have a, I have a suggestion. Check the facts first before you make that kind of charge. Don't just try to keep it in your head. You know, Joy Behar's been around a long time. Uh She may be a nice person personally, but she is pretty vicious on the air, and I'm glad that she apologized. Oh, this is funny before I get down to business. Stephen Colbert was having some fun, you know, 
Chris Lick, the new chairman of CNN, had been running the Colbert show before he was tapped for the CNN job. So Chris Lick was, uh, excuse me, so Colbert was on with Don Lemon and kind of, you know, mockingly going after his former top aide, Licht. And he's on with Don Lemon. And uh, Colbert says, the word on the street is, you guys aren't allowed to be liberal anymore? Is that the case? And Lemon says, I don't think we were ever liberal. And Colbert says, Colbert says, what? And Lemon says, yes, I don't think we were ever liberal. Well, anybody who's followed Don Lemon's career and the anti-Trump, anti-conservative, anti-Republican stuff he spewed on his late-night show, an opinion show to be sure, um, knows what this guy's about. I mean, Don Lemon's a nice guy, but, you know, I don't think we were ever liberal. What planet? Does he think we've been living on? And now he's kind of reinvented as a morning show personality. And I know it was a joking thing, but, oh, I don't think we were ever liberal. All right, story number one. So yesterday, the voices of Republicans condemning Donald Trump over the Kanye West, Nick Fuentes dinner, grew even louder. And I talked some about some of this yesterday, but there's several new developments here. Um, you know, don't take it from me. Mitch McConnell coming out, and it's fascinating because Mitch McConnell um, had been following a practice of sort of not responding to Donald Trump. Donald Trump trashes him, you know, old crow, goes after his wife. McConnell just doesn't want to engage. He doesn't sort of want to get down in the gutter with Trump. But he had a news conference yesterday, and he walks out, and he doesn't even wait for a question. He wants to just say this. At the top, he wants to say this right away. The Senate Minority Leader said, there is no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. And anyone meeting with people advocating that point of view, in my judgment, are highly unlikely to ever be elected President of the United States. And that's a really strong statement from the most important Republican in Washington. Not mincing words. Yes, he doesn't mention Trump, but it is crystal clear who he's talking about. And that prompted Trump to give an exclusive statement to Fox News Digital, responding to McConnell, calling him a loser, and saying, again, you know, he wouldn't even be, have won his last election if not for me. And McConnell easily won re-election, and he didn't need Trump. Guy's been around a long time and is an important, you know, political player in Kentucky. But here's the thing. Trump actually moved an inch. Donald Trump said a version of what his advisors have been pushing him to say for days. You know, shut this down by, by criticizing Nick Fuentes. Now, Trump has said, oh, I didn't know Fuentes or who he was. I didn't know he was coming to the dinner. You know, all that... Might be true. I mean, I have find it hard to believe. He had no idea who Fuentes was, but I, I do believe that Kanye West showed up and brought a friend. And now I read a story about, well, Mar-a-Lago, they're going to tighten their screening procedures. Yeah, after the horse is out of the barn. So in the statement, Trump says of Nick Fuentes, an avowed, a virulent anti-Semite, Holocaust denier and racist. 
Trump said, I never heard of the man. I had no idea what his views were. And they weren't expressed at the table in our very quick dinner, or it wouldn't have been accepted. So think about that. Wouldn't have been accepted is about the mildest rebuke you could possibly come up with. Because he said, he could have said, these views weren't expressed at the table, but now that I know about them, um, I must say that these are horrible views, that this is terrible. I don't support anti-Semitism. I don't support white supremacy. I don't support racism. And, you know, I wish the dinner had never taken place. He didn't say any of that. He said only that if Nick Fuentes had come and sat down on the... There's this huge front porch where they serve meals at Mar-a-Lago, looking out of the ocean. It's lovely. That if he doesn't bring up at dinner, if he doesn't say anti-Semitic things at dinner, if he doesn't talk about the Holocaust at dinner, if he doesn't talk about Jews at the dinner, if he doesn't talk about blacks at the dinner, then it's okay. Because he certainly had plenty of time to familiarize himself with the views of Nick Fuentes. And remember that Trump was, you know, truthing about all this other stuff, doesn't mention it, finally gives this statement to Fox. And this is after not just McConnell, but Mike Pence saying Trump should apologize and all of these other senators lining up. And Kevin McCarthy. By the way, even Lindsey Graham his golfing buddy. The meeting was bad. He shouldn't have done it. We shouldn't have, we shouldn't give oxygen to people who think this way. And even as I mentioned, his own U.S. ambassador to Israel felt compelled to say that Donald Trump had done something wrong. And, you know, okay, he, let's just assume he knew nothing about Fuentes, didn't know he was coming. Fuentes didn't say anything offensive at the dinner. What about Kanye? You know, Kanye West is all about, you know, DEFCON 3 on Jewish people. Why are you doing Kanye? Why do you want to be seen having lunch with a guy who's been known primarily for blowing up his career with a constant stream of vile anti-Semitic remarks two weeks after you announced for the presidency? How is that helping him? All right, so Kevin McCarthy comes out at the White House, but he kind of goes off track. He's trying to sort of mildly criticize Trump, whose support he needs, and he's, you know, pulling out all the stops to become House Speaker. I don't think anybody should be spending any time with Nick Fuentes, says McCarthy. He has no place in the Republican Party. And then he says, I think President Trump came out four times and condemned him and didn't know who he was. So a reporter said, well, he didn't condemn him or his ideology. Well, I condemn his ideology, McCarthy said. It has no place in, our, in society at all. What about the former president? The president didn't know who he was. He knew who Kanye was, so he knew who Kanye was. Kanye West is. He doesn't know who Fuentes is. He didn't know. Uh, look, he can't, McCarthy can't say President Trump came out four times and condemned him. This is even before the statement uh, to Fox, and which is hardly a condemnation. I will say this about Kevin McCarthy, because he used that appearance at the White House. He, he looked good. He's lost weight. And he 
was pretty articulate in talking about the border. You know, Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer came out and they were just a quick, you know, using jargon. Well, we don't want the CR. We want the omnibus bill. And we don't, we're going to try to make sure there's no rail strike. McCarthy comes out and he just kind of dominates the stage. And, but he stumbled badly. I thought he was trying to criticize Trump and then he, he went off and said something that wasn't true. But by and large, you know, he had a message to get out, ripping the Democrats, and, you know, he, he used that forum pretty well. Marjorie Taylor Greene was asked, I guess by a CNN reporter, about Nick Fuentes. Of course I denounce Nick Fuentes and his racist, anti-Semitic ideology. I can't comprehend why the media is obsessed with him. Uh, and then she went on to say, you know, does CNN report real news or is it just a, is it just, a, you know, there to do propaganda? She didn't use that word. Okay, so the problem is there's a photo of Marjorie Taylor Greene standing next to Nick Fuentes speaking at a conference that he organized. And she was asked about that at the time. And again, she says, I, I don't know this guy. I can't comprehend. I don't, I don't know anything about his philosophy. Uh, Okay, but that was some months ago. So since then, you would think she wouldn't be saying, oh, I, you know, I denounce him. Well, what were you doing speaking at his conference? And that's that photo that everybody can go to. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. Precise, personal, powerful. It's America's weather team in the palm of your hands. Get Fox weather updates throughout your busy day, every day. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. One last point on this. Yahoo News has a piece about a record rise in anti-Semitic attacks from uh, anti-Semitic posters being uh, put up at the University of Albany a Jewish teenager in Brooklyn punched in the back of a head, anti-Semitic flyers distributed in a part of Tempe, Arizona, the Holocaust Museum in LA, flooded with anti-Semitic messages. Uh, says that, uh, citing the Anti-Defamation League, that 912 incidents targeting Jews across the U.S. in 2014. Last year, it was 2,000 717, a record number. Jews are targets of about 60%, Yahoo says, of all religion-driven hate crimes, although they make up only 2.4% of the American population. And uh, Christopher Ray of the FBI, he runs the FBI, has spoken out about this. And then on Sunday, Kyrie Irving of the Brooklyn Nets was allowed back into the team's lineup after having been suspended for sharing a leak on a horribly on anti-Semitic film called Hebrews to Negroes, Wake Up Black America. Story number two, a jury has convicted the head of the Oath Keepers, Stuart Rhodes, of masterminding a plot to violently subvert the transfer of power from Donald Trump to Joe Biden. Politico describes this as, uh, you know, he was found to have entered into seditious conspiracy against the U.S. government. The jury also convicting uh, one of his top allies, Kelly Meggs, leader of the Florida Oath Keepers of seditious conspiracy. Three of the co-defendants were acquitted on this most serious charge, but all five of them convicted of other felony charges, including obstruction of Congress. 
This is the most significant eviction stemming from January 6th, when dozens of Oath Keepers joined the mob that stormed the building. So Stuart Rhodes, the guy with the eye patch, uh, faces a maximum sentence of 20 years on just on this seditious conspiracy. The other defense also facing a 20-year maximum sentence for the obstruction commission. The jurors deliberated for three days. And prosecutors produced plenty of evidence, text messages, and how they were prepared at Rhodes' direction for an armed rebellion against the government. Some of the lieutenants, including Meg's and others, were heavily involved in those conversations. Others are still going to go on trial next month. Um, for the two months after Election Day, Rhodes employed increasingly uh, bellicose rhetoric, says Politico, to urge on supporters to reject the incoming Biden administration, you know, in the run-up to January 6th. He mounted a public effort to persuade Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act, a 19th century statute that claimed he claimed would permit Trump to deploy the military and deputize the Oath Keepers. What? I mean, this is really crazy stuff. Uh, the Oath Keepers' defense was they left their firearm arsenal at Arlington at Comfort Inn the day of the riot. They did travel to the Stop the Steal rally and other events. Uh, they, uh, the, the event including Roger Stone and others. So big conviction there by federal prosecutors. Story three, Elon Musk. I was going to say back in the news, but he's always in the news, right? So after he was criticized by Bernie Sanders and Liz, Elizabeth Warren, excuse me, Musk posts the following. He posts the following on Twitter. Several other major Democrat politicians attacked me too, all around the same time. It was coordinated. Outside of party leadership and independents like Manchin, they're essentially actors on the political stage, not directors or scriptwriters. All right, so he sees a organized effort to discredit his ownership of Twitter. By the way, you know what's funny? Several organizations, including the Washington Post and, and others, have run pieces now about Diet Coke. Because when Musk shared that picture of his nightstand, which had a couple of uh, uh, guns, which had that replica painting of George Washington crossing the Delaware, and several cans of Diet Coke. He said, look, it brings me joy. Now, this has caused me to lose respect for Elon Musk because clearly Coke Zero is a far superior product. What is he doing still drinking Diet Coke? But, you know, to each his own, which is quote of his philosophy uh, on Twitter. But also, I wish he had, wasn't popping off about things like Taiwan because the Taiwanese premier hit back at Musk. The guy's name is Su Seng Chang. Musk is a businessman. He said in a session of parliament, he has a big car factory in Shanghai and wants to promote his electric car vehicles. A businessman may see this today and say that it's tomorrow. Musk only speaks for himself, but doesn't really know much about Taiwan, and he doesn't understand cross-strait relations. In other words, the difficult and often tense relations between Beijing and the breakaway province of Taiwan. What Musk said that triggered this was that um, 
it was probably a good idea for Taiwan to become a self-ruled island in the spirit of Hong Kong. But that sparked a lot of anger in Taiwan because he brought this up uh, in his interview with the Financial Times. Since Taiwan leads, lives under constant threat of an invasion by Beijing. Oh, he called it reasonably palatable that Taiwan should strike a reasonably palatable agreement with China, mainland China, to become a special administrative zone. Yeah, well, given what the Chinese have done in Hong Kong, that doesn't give me any comfort. And it just, you know, Elon is trying to do a lot of things with Twitter and defend himself and make it a free speech platform, uh, which he did by lifting the previous suspensions for all those who had permanent bans, including Donald Trump. Um, he should stay in his lane on this. He's running Tesla. He's running SpaceX. He's, running, he's paid $44 billion for his company. He doesn't need to be posing as an expert on foreign relations, in my humble opinion. Story four, there's a lot going on with the January 6th committee as they are racing the clock to get out their report really before the Republican Congress takes over in early January. So now Anthony Ornato, I don't know if you remember that name, has testified. Um, he is a former Secret Service agent and White House aide. Remember the whole flap when Cassidy Hutchinson testified and she recounted what Ornato told him, she was not there, about Trump in the car on January 6th, how he really wanted to go to the Capitol, but the agent in charge would not take him. And then Ornato said, and you remember the huge headlines this generated, you know, that Trump uh, got into a physical altercation with a... Uh, Secret Service agent in the front seat. Trump absolutely denied this at the time. And, you know, it, certainly there were leaked stories. Well, Arnato doesn't think that that's true. And, uh, you know, the, he's going to correct the record here. That was months ago. Only now has he testified before the January 6th committee. Um, according to the New York Times, some uh, Secret Service officials have challenged some aspects of her account. Members of the panel have accused Ornato of being less than honest with them during a previous interview. New answers could help determine whether the dispute is a legitimate battle over Cassidy Hutchinson's credibility or an attempt to muddy the waters over her testimony. Uh, in the end, I don't think it matters all that much. Clearly, Donald Trump was upset, agitated, yelling, wanted to go to the Capitol, uh, wisely, the Secret Service, which was not set up to protect him, as his people, some of whom turned out to be a mob, went. I mean, imagine if Trump had been on the scene when that was happening. So that's why they wanted to get Ronaldo back. They've interviewed Kellyanne and trying to race to put out the report, you know, basically before the Christmas break. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, let's wrap things up with story number five, A Piece in the Atlantic by Mark Leibovich, talented writer who has written before for the New York Times and before that, the Washington Post. And he's going after Ron DeSantis and he sets up the piece. You knew this was coming. You know, now he sets up the piece by saying, look, a lot of Republicans want DeSantis to defeat Trump. 
DeSantis is the guy. The Florida governor is, you know, the leading contender. He's getting all this great press. Uh, he's the, you know, if he gets Trump one-on-one, so he builds him up and then says, well, you know, people who know him better and have watched him longer are skeptical of his ability to take on the former president. DeSantis, they say, is no thoroughbred political athlete. He can be awkward and plotting, and Trump tends to eviscerate guys like that. Okay. Um, Republican Congresswoman Barbara Comstock quoted as saying, he was standoffish in general. Uh, Rick Wilson, Republican media guy who is one of the big never-Trumpers, despises the former president, says of DeSantis, a strange, no-eye-contact oddball. So it comes down to sort of the would-you-have-a-beer-with-this-guy question, which often is raised in politics. You know, that he's got to be have a certain degree of warmth or likability. Now, maybe in these polarized times, that doesn't matter because DeSantis can point to his record in Florida, and he's very good at fighting the culture war issues. Even Leibovitz says, look, DeSantis, this could give him credibility as an outsider irritant. He's not just another smoothie politician. Since Trump descended down in the escalator and dragged the GOP down with him, the party has shown a persistent tolerance, even inclination, for churlish bastards, just as long as they were churlish toward the right rascals, reprobates, and agents of wokeness. DeSantis have a tr- has a Trumpian proficiency for identifying these. If that leads to cruel treatment of vulnerable populations, refugees, gay and transgender teams, even better. So, the story also uh, quotes Carlos Curbelo, former Republican congressman from Florida who served with DeSantis in the House before he was elected governor, says, I think he's going to run into some challenges. So, this former congressman raises the beer question, and Leibovitch writes, this is a big, cli- big time cliche, but will he grow on voters like a catchy song or like mold? Uh, Cabrello goes on to say, DeSantis has this robotic quality that he has to shed. Everything else checks the box. He's smart and competent and committed to his ideology. He just has to humanize himself. <laughs> That's such an interesting phrase. And the Atlantic piece uh, concludes by saying, he can appear needlessly snappish and reactive. This year, he scolded a group of high school students for wearing masks on stage behind him. All right, he just has to humanize himself. So you would think that'd be the easy part, right? Um, you know, DeSantis obviously has political skills, got himself elected governor with Trump's help, has gone after, as I said, a lot of people who are anathema to conservative Republicans. But he doesn't have the warmth factor. Now, you would think he could acquire that. But, you know, if you don't have experience... Look, he he got himself elected to Congress. He must have had some ability to talk to constituents and uh, not just come off as a hard-edged guy who just doesn't seem very very, uh, smooth with people. Well, you know, that's what happens when you get into the national arena. There are a lot of people who are tired. I remember Scott Walker. Remember when he was being touted, former Wisconsin governor, 
faced a recall election as, you know, the hot property. I remember he came to Fox for a meeting with the editorial board. I was in the room. And, you know, he, he delivered his talking points, but he just had zero charisma. And it does take some. There's a minimal bar. People have to kind of sort of like you. They kind of have to sort of feel like you have their interest at heart, but you're somebody that they could talk to, that they could make eye contact with. Um, I mean, Walker obviously got himself elected governor, but he just fizzled. He just completely and totally fizzled as a national candidate. I'm not saying Ron DeSantis will do that. But, you know, until you're in the arena, the national arena it is, we don't really know. So thank you for your time here. I do uh, appreciate the chance to talk to you one-on-one like this, hopefully with a voice that sounds a little better than yesterday. Um, If you are not already a subscriber to our wonderful podcast, Amazon Music and Apple iTunes, a couple places you can do it, and you can skip the ads. All right, paid uh, political advertisement over. Talk to you guys tomorrow with more BuzzMeter. Put the power of over 100 meteorologists and the worldwide resources of Fox in your hands with the Fox Weather Podcast. Precise, personal, powerful. Subscribe and listen now at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.